Well, before we turn to the Word of God, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Ask his help this morning. We'll pray for our friends who are not here with us this morning as well. Our Father in heaven, we praise the Lord for this opportunity to open your word, the Bible, and we're so privileged to have the scriptures in our own language to read. Lord, we remember the work of faithful men who gave their lives for the translation of scripture, as well as the, uh, the freedom for us to be able to open it today. And Lord, we count ourselves blessed to have your word in our hands today. And we say thank you to you for this, Lord. And we honour you for this. And we pray that as we open our Bibles, you would pour your spirit upon us. Lord, you would bless us. You would bless the preacher and the congregation together. And may we both meet with you. We ask this, Lord. And we pray, Lord, for those who are not able to be here with us today. We're missing a few friends. There's Doug in hospital, Lord. We pray for him. We lift him to you in his, in his new uh, place at Poulton, that you would be with him and comfort him. We pray for Brian and Rita, who are not here today. Uh, I think it's because they're, they're unwell, Lord, and we commit them to you. We commit to you, Lord, others as well, who may be absent for different reasons. Some of the Sunday school children seem to be missing, and we're not sure why that is this morning. So we pray for them and pray that, Lord, those who are not able to be here with us, who are your people, they would have an encounter with you where they are. That the Lord would be at the bedside in the hospital. That the Lord would be in the home. That the Lord would draw near to each one of his children. And for those, Lord, who are concerned about friends who are, are hurt and unwell, Lord, we lift them to you as well. We lift to you Mary and pray for her friend Tim at this time, Lord. Pray for your grace for him. And thank you, Lord, for all that Mary does for us in the piano playing. We do pray, Lord, for the start of this new week to be a week of blessing as we go forward in you. And may what we learn today help us to that end. We look to you in worship and praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Remembrance Sunday, what can I preach about? So I've been praying about this and agonizing about this. And the Lord's led me this morning to Joshua chapter 5. And I want to speak to you about our Saviour as a soldier. So, Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 and 15. And uh, tonight I've got a follow-on theme. I'm talking about the Christian as a soldier. <laughs> and I'm talking about what it means to be a good, uh, a good soldier of Christ Jesus, as Paul told Timothy. So, if you can come tonight, hopefully that'll be a double blessing for us to open the word together again. Of course, the Lord may come this afternoon, so that may not happen. <laughs> but uh, if the Lord doesn't come, we'll be here, God willing. Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. When Greg Walk 
started a church in California in a place called La Jolly, which is a nice name. I'd like to stay <laughs> and live in a place called La Jolla. And uh, he had in mind a vision of reaching students. Where they were was nearby a university campus, and he had a vision of reaching the students. Uh, there's also a lot of uh, a social life in California, of course, great holiday destination, and he had a vision of reaching people through that means as well. But the Lord had other plans for him, because nearby where his uh, church was founded, there was a Navy SEALs training center. Now, the Navy SEALs are, are the uh, Army uh, Division, of, uh, or, or the Navy Division of the Special Forces in America, the equivalent of our SAS. And the, the centre near them was called BUDS, B-U-D-S, which uh, I don't understand what the B stands for, but the U-D-S stands for Underwater, Diving, uh, underwater Demolition um, Training Centre. So it's a, a particularly tough place. And this is a part of the course and the training where most of the SEALs drop out. They say three-quarters of the SEALs drop out when they go through the BUDS training. But while he was pastoring his church there, some of the Navy SEALs came into his church. And he had a, the joy of fellowshipping with some of them who were Christians. And one day, one of them invited him to a barbecue. And he went along and he had a chance to meet more of these tough guys from the army, these Navy SEALs. And he started chatting with them and he spoke to one guy and he said, tell me, he said, how do you cope with the grueling things you face on the battlefield as a soldier? And the guy winced and he said, all I need is a beer and a buddy. And that man, uh, uh, Greg Walk, realised these soldiers need so much more than just a beer. They need so much more. Only the Lord can meet their needs. And he changed his vision for his church. And he said, Lord, give me these men. And you know what? He has been an outreach evangelist pastor to that community. And he has had great success in leading Navy SEALs to Christ. On one occasion, he went to the gym and he met this man, a man by the name of Jeff Bramstead. And he was working out in the gym and Jeff was working out in there and they struck up a conversation and the Lord really laid this man on his heart. And uh, the relationship built and when Jeff's marriage got into problems, Jeff got in touch with Greg. And as a result of helping him with his marriage, Jeff was then led to Christ. And Jeff today is an ex-Navy SEAL who's an outspoken Christian uh, in, uh, in the Christian media as well. It's an amazing thing that what the Lord has done among some of the toughest soldiers in the American forces. Now, some people can't imagine that you can be a Christian and be in the forces. You can't be a Christian and be a soldier. But in the Bible, there are actually many men who were such. We think of David, who was a great warrior, of course, and fought against Goliath. We think of Naaman, the general in the uh, army of the Aram army, the Syrian army, who became a believer. We think of Cornelius in the New Testament, to name just a few. And it's a, a surprising thing, but it's not an uncommon thing for soldiers 
and military people to become believers in Christ. And it's even less surprising when we find out that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is even pictured as a soldier in the Bible. You know, we're used to thinking of the Lord Jesus in many different metaphors that he describes himself as in the Gospels. In Matthew 13, he pictures himself as a sower going out to sow the seed of the word of God. And he said that he was that sower. We're used to thinking of him as the sovereign, the one on the throne, who ruling over all. And of course, we all love the image of the shepherd, don't we? The good shepherd who we turn to. But perhaps... We've never really realised Christ is also pictured as a soldier. And we see that here in Joshua chapter 5. You see, it was revealed to a man who was a great soldier himself. A man by the name of Joshua. Or as you would say in Hebrew, Yeshua. So when you think about it, what you have here is Yeshua meeting Yeshua. The Lord's army leader meeting the army leader uh, of Israel. And uh, it was an amazing revelation that the Lord gave him. And it came at a critical moment for Joshua, the leader of the nation of Israel. Moses had died. The children of Israel had crossed the river Jordan. And now there was no way back because that river opened for them to cross and now it was closed again. They had water behind them and they had the enemy in front of them. And in fact, what they had was a very formidable first target, which they knew they had to take, which was the city of Jericho. Now, Joshua had been one of the spies in the land and he had seen these mighty cities that the Canaanites had built. And he saw, like the others, that they had high fortified walls all around them. Do you remember what the people said? We were like grasshoppers in their sight. And we know that Jericho had a great formidable wall around it. And uh, you can still see the ruins of Jericho today. I've been there. It's a real place. This is a real Bible story about real things that happened. And Joshua was faced with this great target. Now you say, what's the problem here for a soldier? Well, first of all, Joshua had no experience in taking cities. No experience at all. All his warfare so far had been desert warfare. He'd fought against the Amalekites in the battle in Exodus chapter 17. And he'd fought with Sion and Og, king of Bashan, and so on. But he hadn't had city warfare, taking a city. And what was even more challenging was they didn't have the weapons to do it. Normally, and if you come tonight, you'll see in the passage that we're looking at, when a nation takes a city, what they would do was they would, they would use siege warfare, instruments and, and machinery of sieges. And Joshua and the children of Israel, <laughs> they were shepherds. They had slings, they had arrows, they might have had a few swords that had washed up on the sea uh, ashore after the, red, after the army had died, uh, the Egyptian army had died. But what was that? Against walls, formidable giant walls. It was a critical moment for Joshua and one which I'm sure was playing on his mind and his heart. And as the new leader, everybody was looking to him. You know, I, I know what it's like to be a new pastor in a church. I've had that experience a few times. And two things happen. Number one, you want to make a good impression. But also, you know, you follow somebody else. 
And if you follow somebody as popular as Moses, <laughs> then that's even bigger to follow. And poor old Joshua, this was a critical moment for his leadership. So what did he do? Well, he did what Nehemiah did in Nehemiah chapter 2. And he went to survey the walls of Jerusalem. And he went to survey the walls of Jericho. Not to build them up, but to bring them down. And he went to have a look at them. And while he was in private doing a recce around Jericho, he met the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the answer to his problems. George Duncan, the famous preacher, said this. He wanted to take a good look at Jericho and instead found himself looking at Jesus. <laughs> and that's good. And this was the turning point, not only for the military campaign, but the turning point for Joshua personally. When he met the saviour as a soldier. Now, some people are going to say, well, you know, John, I, I hear what you're saying, but where do we, how do we know that this is Jesus from the New Testament. Let me give you five reasons how we know that this is the Lord who the, uh, that Joshua met. First of all, he's called the commander of the Lord's army. The commander of the Lord's army. So the Lord's army, he's the one in charge, it's his army. Secondly, Joshua in verse 14 worshipped him. You don't worship anybody. No Jew would worship anybody other than the Lord or they'd be stoned to death. Thirdly, he called him my Lord in verse 14. The Hebrew word is Adon, which is the word for Adonai, one of the names of God. Fourthly, he said, I, I am your servant. What does the Lord say to his servant? And he was the servant of the Lord. So he was saying, I am your servant and called him so. And finally, at the end of this passage, as we'll get to, there's a repeat of what happened with Moses at the burning bush, where the Lord takes him to take off it, tells him to take off his sandal, for he's standing on holy ground. So this is a, a repetition, in some ways, of what happened with Moses when he met the Lord at the burning bush. And the angel of the Lord in the burning bush was the Lord Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnation uh, event. This is what we call in Christian thinking a Christophany. A Christophany. That's a good scrabble word. Uh, all right. You get a nice lot of letters out with that. But what does it mean, Christophany? It means it's an appearance of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament before he was born in Bethlehem at Christmas. If I use just simple terms. And this is one of those Christophanies when the Lord Jesus appeared at this critical moment to Joshua. And he appeared, our saviour, as a soldier. And I want us to see four things this morning from this about what that meant for Joshua and about what that meant for us. I want to draw your attention to four things about our saviour here. First of all, his appearance in verse 13. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. As I said earlier, some people uh, may be shocked to think of the Lord Jesus as a soldier uh, in this type of military uh, uh, outfit, but not not for, not for all Christians. John Bunyan, one of my favourite writers, he wrote a book, you know Pilgrim's Progress, he wrote another book called 
The Chronicles of Mansoul, the city of Mansoul. It's also subtitled Holy War, but I think they're not using that title so much these days because of mistaken uh, understandings about jihad, and it's nothing to do with that. It's a story like Pilgrim's Progress uh, to illustrate Christian truth. And in this story, the city is Mansoul, Mansoul, and it's been taken over by the devil. It's a picture of the fall. And uh, Prince Emmanuel... The son of Shaddai comes to rescue this city and he comes in his armour with his forces with him. And John Bunyan says this, as the prince clad in armour of gold paraded up the street, the townsfolk came out to see him and were impressed by the glory of his appearance. (laughs) John Bunyan knew the Lord sometimes appears as a soldier. And it is a biblical image. You see, Exodus chapter 18, verse 3 tells us the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is a man of war. Some people are troubled by the fact that it says he looked up and he saw a man. Don't be troubled. Exodus 15, 3, the Lord is a man of war. And he came in this uh, description to Joshua. You see, friends, there's something very important to understand why that was necessary. And that is this, there is a war that is going on. Not just there was a war going on, there is a war that is going on. And it has been going on ever since the Garden of Eden, when Adam fell and Satan took control of this world. The whole world lies under the sway of the evil one, says 1 John 5 verse 19. And he is even called in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, the God of this age. That's effectively what he is. And so there is a battle on. And Christ is fighting that battle. It's a battle against sin. It's a battle against Satan. It's a battle against suffering. And Christ is is the enemy of all those three things. And so Christ, who will come as saviour and die for sinners, who will trust in him and turn from their sin and turn from being on Satan's side to being on his side. He will receive them as his people. They will become his children, blood-washed and saved. But those who choose to reject him, those who choose to stay on Satan's side, those who choose to carry on living a life of sin, and those who want to inflict suffering and wickedness on others, then watch out. Because Christ comes with a drawn sword. And that's what we see him doing here as he approaches Jericho. He is there with a sword drawn because Jericho has had the gospel preached to her by the spies who went in. James calls them messengers. What message did they take in? (laughs) They took the message of the Lord's mercy, if they would have it. But only one family would have it, the family of Rahab. So God said, I'm going to save that family, but the rest of that city is going to come under judgment. And the sword of God's wrath was about to fall. And I want to tell you, dear friends, this is a very, very up-to-date message. Because, you know, the next time this world sees the Lord Jesus Christ... It will be as a soldier with a sword. You don't believe me? Read Revelation 19. Because that's how he's coming back at the Battle of Armageddon. He's not coming back as a little baby to be born in Bethlehem. He's coming back as the sovereign Lord 
who will judge this world with a sword that comes out of his mouth and he will inflict deadly blows on the forces of the Antichrist and he will bring his judgments in. The next time the church is going to see him will be as a bridegroom. <laughs> That's a bit different, isn't it? And much more beautiful. But the next time this world sees him will be in that capacity. And you and I have a choice right now to receive his offer of peace and have salvation and become his. The question is, will we take it? He's offering it to us. You know, Abraham Lincoln in the days of the Civil War was criticized by making friends with some of the Confederates who were the other side. And people said, we're at war against those people. You should not be making friends with them. He said, listen, I, make, I destroy my enemies by making them my friends. And that's how he was winning people over as well as on the battlefield for those who wouldn't accept his hand of friendship. And I want to say this, it's one or the other with Jesus Christ. Which is it going to be with you? Will you turn from your sin and ask him to be your saviour? He said, didn't he, as we read earlier today, he said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross. He laid down his life for his friends. But the qualifier was this. You are my friends if you will do what I command. Will you submit your life to him and follow him? You know, many of us today are wearing a poppy. And as I was thinking of this poppy, I was thinking what a picture of the gospel it is. It has a green stalk which reminds us of the tree called Calvary which Jesus died on. It has red flower, which reminds us of the precious lifeblood which was spilt on that cross for our sin. And it has a black, black button right at the centre, which reminds us of our sin, which was the reason Jesus had to die there. Question is, Christ has saved, has made salvation possible. Will you repent and receive his offer of peace and salvation now as he gives you this chance to do so. I hope you will do. will do. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's where our relationship with him begins. Second thing I want to see about our saviour as a soldier is, is his authority in verses 13 to 14. Because after Joshua uh, looked up, and he had obviously been scouting around, he might have even been in prayer at that time, when he looked up and he saw the Lord in this form here, uh, he went up to him. Now that was a very brave thing for Joshua to do, but he was a brave soldier and he went up to him and he asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Friend or foe, are you for us or for our enemies? And the Lord gave Joshua a very puzzling answer. He said, neither. He replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Now this was a very puzzling answer that the Lord gave to Joshua. What did he mean when he said neither? I thought he was for them. But no, the question was wrong. Joshua said, are you on our side or are you on their side? And the real question was, are we on your side? <laughs> and that was the, the issue that jo the Lord was dealing with. He said, neither. And he said, 
I'm not on your side, Joshua. You're on my side. That's what it is. Let's remember the way around it is. And what he said is, as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua, you're worried about taking this big city, Jericho. I have come and we're going to take it. The Lord stepped up to this great challenge and he stepped in with authority as the commander of the army of the Lord. And you know the Lord bears that title and similar titles in other scriptures. In Isaiah 55 verse 4, Isaiah uh, speaks with the voice of the Lord prophetically and he says that he would make him a leader and a commander of the peoples. Isn't that amazing? In Hebrews 2 verse 10, the Lord Jesus is called the captain of their salvation. So he has this position of authority. And when Joshua hears that, he does the right thing. It says, then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. And why did he do this? Because he realized who now he was speaking with. You know, something clicked in his mind that went back to their pilgrimage from Egypt. When they'd come up from Egypt, they'd had that terrible incident with the, with the, uh, with the, the golden calf and everything. And God had said to Moses, he said, I will send my angel to be with you and to lead you. And they never saw that angel. They saw the gold, they saw the, the fiery pillar and, and, and everything else. They never saw the angel. Now they're in the land. And he realizes, this is who this is. This is the angel of the Lord, the Christophany. This is the Lord manifesting himself like he did to Moses. And therefore, he surrenders his leadership to the Lord Jesus. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? I love that. He puts the authority where it needs to be. And you know what, this is such a word of application for us today because for many of us, we're facing situations that are way over our heads. Situations that are too big for us and how can we deal with it? Well, the answer is, give it into the hands of the commander of the Lord's army. I want to tell you about one of my favourite books or, or, or church leaders of the past. That, uh, you don't hear of him so much today, but our parents' generation did. Cyrus Schofield. C.I. Schofield. You got a Schofield study Bible somewhere on the shelf at home? That was a study Bible to have, and it is still to this day. And it was put together by this man who was a great scholar of God's word. But he was a great preacher and Bible teacher. And when he was in the church in Dallas, which he was pastor of, First, Baptist church, First Congregational Church in Dallas, there came a time when he had a great burden for, on his ministry, and his ministry became heavier than he could carry. And the, the, the challenges in the church and the frustrations and the difficulties were so overwhelming. He was alone in his study and he was like a broken man. Now what do you do when you're in a situation like that? I'll tell you what a man of the word does, a man of God does. He says, Lord, I need something from you. And he opened his Bible and he saw Joshua chapter 5. And he saw the Lord showing Joshua he had to give it into his command and let him take the lead and deal with it. And so he got on his knees 
like Joshua, and said, Lord, it's in your hands now. And he surrendered it to him. He's the one with the authority to deal with it. And you know what? There may be somebody here today who needs to do that in their situation. Warren Wiersbe has written this in his commentary. He said, Joshua was reminded that he was second in command. (laughs) Every father and mother, pastor and Christian leader is second in command to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we forget this fact, we start to move towards defeat and failure. The Lord came to Joshua that day, not just to help, but to lead. Without me, you can do nothing. And that's uh, the words of the Lord Jesus. And that's what you and I need to do. I wonder if there's somebody here today who needs to recognise again the authority the Lord Jesus has over your situation and yield it all to him rather than trying to come up with all the answers yourself. He's the one we need to bring things to in prayer. And he's the one we need to make Lord of our lives. A lot of people want Jesus to be their saviour. They want a fire ticket. They want, they want a relief from going to hell. They want fire insurance when they die. But they're not yet willing to make Jesus Christ Lord of their whole lives. You know one person who was like that was General Dannett. You remember him? You know he was a Christian. A strong Christian. He was, uh, 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 the, or is, I think, uh, one of the uh, leaders in, in Safra. Uh, but he was a young man who'd given his life to the Lord at uh, 26 years old on Remembrance Day in 1977. He and his newly married wife were in Berlin. He said it's a nice place to be stationed. And they were there. And he was in the uh, MOD uh, quarters there getting ready for the, the Remembrance Day service. And he went into the bathroom and that was the last thing he remembered. You know what happened? At 26 years old, he had a severe stroke. And he was rushed to hospital. The, minute, the uh, chaplain was called to visit his wife, Pippa, and tell her, I'm ever so sorry, it doesn't look like he's going to make it. And they went together to the hospital. Do you know what? The Lord in his mercy brought him out of that stroke without any symptoms. But they thought he was going to die. But General Dannett said this. The Lord was challenging me as he had done. He had had three escapes from death. But each one he felt God was saying to me, your life belongs to me. And he wasn't yet willing to yield lordship to Christ. His own words are this. The 11th of November is the date in the calendar each year when we remember Armistice Day. For it was the 11th hour of the 11th day of November 1918 that the surrender of Germany to end the First World War was announced. announced. A surrender is two things. It is the end of fighting and the beginning of peace. I discovered that 11th of November 1977 was the moment I stopped fighting with God only to give him part of my life. And it was the moment that I fully committed myself to him. I wonder if there's somebody here today who needs to give Christ the authority of their lives. If so, make him your saviour and Lord through faith in him and trust in him and look to him even this day. And then thirdly, we see here 
the saviour as a soldier in the third thing, which is his announcement in verses 14 to 15. Come take a seat, friends. Make yourself at home. We're looking at Joshua chapter 5 and the Lord's appearance to Joshua outside Jericho. And uh, in verse 14... Uh, it, it, we read in the middle, Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, when Joshua asked the Lord, he saw the Lord, he fell down and he asked this question, what message does the Lord have for his servant? It reminds me of when Paul, Saul of Tarsus, met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he said, Lord, what would you have me do? And one was after the resurrection and the, the coming of Christ, one was before. But it was the same response upon meeting the Lord Jesus. And he, he knelt down here. And the Lord gave him a never puzzling answer. He, he was expecting perhaps to say, you know, what's the strategy for taking Jericho? And the Lord said something different instead. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. God told him to take off his shoe. And it's actually shoe, singular, not shoes, plural. Now, this is what God had said to Moses, but it was a, a, a great significance for it because he was saying a number of things. He was saying the place where you're standing is holy. <laughs> now, Joshua knew a little bit about Jericho. Everybody did. It's the oldest city in the world, and it was famous for its wickedness. <laughs> it certainly wasn't a holy city. God saying, this place is holy. Why was it holy? It's a part of the holy land. Zechariah chapter 2, that's the name for the land of Israel. Why is it the holy land? Because the Lord was there. And Joshua was in the presence of the Lord and he made it holy. And not only that, holiness was what it was going to become. You see, the God isn't finished with that land, and one day in the future, it will be perfectly sanctified. I've got a message you're going to get in the new year, <laughs> and it's about the, the new land of Israel, Ezekiel 47 and 48, and it's going to be a sanctified land to the Lord, and it's a, it's a wonderful thing. The, the Lord sees it as being already done, just like he sees us as being already forgiven and glorified and seated with him in the heavenly realms. But there's something even more than this. Take off your sandal. Now, if you've read the book of Ruth and you remember the story of Ruth that we did earlier, you remember when Boaz goes to buy the land, he knows there's somebody else who has the first right to redemption. And it's the next near kinsman. And they have this meeting in the town gate at Bethlehem. And he says, do you want to redeem the land? And he says, I can't do it. Because it would mean marrying Ruth as well. And he said, I can't do it. I'll lose my inheritance. I would damage my inheritance. So according to the custom, what he did was he took off his shoe and gave it to Boaz and said, it's yours, the right to redeem. And Joshua, who couldn't take Jericho, took off his sandal and said, Lord, it's yours. You take it. You have the right. You have the power to take it. 
And he was surrendering all to the Lord. What an announcement the Lord made when he said that. But you know what? It's still more. Because when Joshua took off his feet, his bare so- took off his shoes, his bare soul was on the floor. And do you remember what he said to Joshua at the very beginning of this book? Every place where the sole of your foot stands, I will give to you. God was in charge of it all, wasn't he? And he had the victory all worked out. I want you to be encouraged by that. You and I may not see how our battles are ever going to be won. And there are battles raging right now in the lives of the people in this church. And our world is going into great battles this winter, I'm sure of it. And we've got to have confidence in the Lord of hosts, the commander of the Lord's army, that he is the one who's in charge and he is the one who has the victory and will have the victory in the end. And Joshua did so very wisely. Will you do the same in giving it to him? The final thing I want you to see is about the Lord, the, um, soul, our saviour as a soldier is this, is his absence. And I want you to see that down in verse 16. <coughs> because there isn't a verse 16. <laughs> and I've been a bit naughty, but the point I'm making is this. This is how the story of the Lord meeting Joshua ends. And then the next step is we go into Jericho. And, and, you know, it's puzzled a lot of Bible commentators. One commentator I read this week said there must be something missing from this story because it stops so abruptly and, and we don't know any more about the Lord with Joshua. What happened anymore? We don't know. We're not told anymore. All we know is that the Lord was no longer visibly present. And there seems to be an absence suddenly of this commander, the captain of the Lord's army, when he said at first that he had come to help with this battle. But you know what? The Lord was present. And it was the Lord who gave the victory at Jericho. And in all the rest of the land of Canaan that Joshua went on to lead the people of Israel from. He was present. They just couldn't see him. And I want you to know that was a message the Lord Jesus wanted his disciples to understand. Did you ever wonder, after Jesus died on the cross and rose again, why he didn't just go straight up to heaven? For 40 days, the Lord Jesus was with his disciples on occasions. He would appear in the upper room, and then he wasn't there. Thomas didn't believe them. Then a week later, the Lord was there again. Then he was up in Galilee. Then he's back down on the Mount of Olives where he's ascending from. And he's here and then he's not here and he's here and he's not here. For 40 days he was coming and going. What was the Lord teaching them? He was teaching them, I'm there even when you can't see me. And that's a message we need today as well. Like the book of Esther, we could say, where's the Lord's name written all over this world situation right now? But the Lord is there. He's still in charge. He is still present. And in your situation, he is too. If you've cried out, Lord, where are you this week? The Lord knows. And he's there. You just can't see him. Just need to put your faith in him like Joshua did and rest in his leading. One last soldier story. You know this face, I expect. Tim Cross, General Tim Cross. He was the operating uh, general for the Iraq Gulf War, for the soldiers in the theatre of war. You know, he was, uh, uh, he describes himself as being 
uh, an average Englishman from a middle class background. You know, nice guy and went to church on occasion and had a nice little bit of, bit of Christianity here and there in his life. Uh, for instance, when he was at Sandhurst, he did a very unusual thing for a soldier to do and he got himself confirmed as a soldier, as an adult soldier. When he got married, uh, they had communion at their wedding. Then when he had three beautiful children, he had them all christened. And, you know, he was like that sort of average British soldier with a bit of Christianity peppered in his life. Then when he was on operation in Cyprus, he and his wife had an, op- had an opportunity to fly over to the land of Israel. So they did a, a short sightseeing tour and they went to the land of Israel. And one of the people they met out there was Colonel Dobby. Some of you will know that name. And Colonel Dobby told them, you want to go to see the empty tomb. While you're here, go and see the empty tomb. And they went, first of all, to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. But then someone said, you want to go to the garden tomb. That's where you want to go. And he went to the garden tomb. And you know what he saw? He saw two things. First of all, he saw the hill of the skull. He said, that's Golgotha. The hill of the skull where Jesus died. He read his Bible. He knew bits about it. He said, that's where Jesus died. And then he went to see the tomb. And they said, you can go in. And he went inside and he said it was so real seeing where Jesus had been buried. In his own words, he says this, I was really stuck, struck by the reality of the empty tomb, the fact that Jesus did not stay dead. And God did something very powerful in his heart. And when they went back to Cyprus, they found the chaplain who was a good evangelical man. And they said, we need to know more about the Lord Jesus in a real way. And he gave his life to the Lord. And his wife went to a Bible, ladies' Bible study and she became a Christian too. And they became real committed Christians. He's a part of the Bible Society uh, helping uh, in, in their work too. But you know what? Maybe that needs to happen to you as well. Maybe I'm talking to somebody here today who has a nice peppering of Christianity in their life. You're a nice average English person who goes to church, is respectful, you're here for for Remembrance Sunday. Maybe a soldier background, something like that. Listen, you need the Lord in a real way. You need to know him personally as your Lord and Saviour. Our Lord is coming again one day. He's coming back as that soldier with the drawn sword. He doesn't want to come in judgment to you. He wants to come now into your heart as your Lord and Saviour. So why do you say, Lord, I surrender all. I surrender it to you. I ask you to forgive me and save me and come into my life. I know you're real. I need you as my Saviour. Come in. And if you put your trust in what he did for you, then he will answer that prayer and you will be his. Kneel before him like Joshua, even in your heart today. Let's sing our our final hymn, shall we, this morning.